Hi there and welcome. I'm glad you're joining me in this series that I'm calling Living with Purpose, Body, Soul, and Spirit. Today we conclude this series with our lesson on the spirit. We've spent this whole series looking at the struggles we experience with our body and our soul and our spirit. We've seen the struggle that we have for control. We've seen how Satan wants to take control of our five senses and our thoughts and our emotions and our will all in an effort to keep our spirit out of alignment with God's Holy Spirit. Today we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. We're going to see who He is and how He comes to us, how He helps us, and then we're going to look at the indications in our life that let us know who is in control. We want to see if we have a spirit-controlled life. I think being a part of this wonderful, beautiful women's Women of Worth Ministry, the WOW Ministry, has given us all opportunities to see God's Holy Spirit at work through our own connections and through our relationships. It's a wonderful thing to see God at work in a group, and within that group are individuals. And so the stronger the individuals are in their walk, in their journey, the stronger that the group or the ministry is going to be. So I've seen the Holy Spirit alive and, and at work in this ministry. This ministry is laced in prayer. You love and pray for each other. I love you and pray for you. And there is power in the spirit of prayer. Many of you have shared with me all these wonderful connections that you've made through being a part of this ministry. Things that are very unusual, they're really unique, and they're not coincidental. They happen because the Holy Spirit led you to certain people at certain times in your life to help you in your journey, in your walk. That's what we see. So as we think about that, I want us to think about the commitment we make as a ministry to walk faithfully with God, to lace our ministry in prayer, to be faithful to Him and faithful to each other. Um, and that means that we all want to have that same kind of faith journey individually. We feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our Wednesday gatherings. And so we want that to continue and <clears throat> it will continue but as it continues the evil one is always lurking the evil one wants to infiltrate each of our lives he wants to disturb and disrupt ministries and churches and anybody who's walking faithfully with god so in our personal lives and in ministry lives we need to be to knit together so closely and so tightly that satan cannot worm his his way in. He is at odds with the good work of Christ, uh, both in ministries and in our lives. And the stronger a ministry is, or a church is, or an individual is connected to the Holy Spirit, the harder Satan works to wedge his way in. He works in sly ways to keep us out of alignment. He works in ways through our body and through our soul and our spirit. And he works through unfounded criticisms and unkind words and false accus accusations. He uses our own senses and our bodies to work against us. He works through our thoughts to make us think things that aren't true. And he encourages us to lean into our strong self-will instead of God's will. There is a way to combat that, and that is by leaning fully on God's own tripartite being, the Trinity, God the Father, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And when we do, then we have become a fortress of God, and Satan cannot get his way in very easily. That's what we want. Well, how does the Holy Spirit work in us? Well, once we accept Christ into our lives, the Holy Spirit resides within us, and His Spirit will guide us and empower us to think and behave differently. The challenge is that after we become a Christian, we still have that Adam and Eve-like nature in our souls. It's the remnant of a sinful nature that begins to influence our choices and our behaviors. To live peacefully and joyfully in the life that God would have for us, we need to exchange that sinful nature for the nature of Christ. So we consciously and consistently ask God's Holy Spirit to help us die to our old nature so that His nature can be the dominant one in our lives. That's how we get transformed. The secret to this type of living lies in daily yielding in surrender of our old nature and the way we have thought and the way we have reacted and our strong will and surrender all of that to Christ's nature so that we can fully exhibit the life of a Holy Spirit-filled Christian. And over time, this will happen. God's Spirit works through our spirit to work with our soul, which, remember, means our personality, our will, our emotions, our mind, and to work with our body to do and see and feel and experience things that please God. Our prayer is found in Romans 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then, here's the byproduct of all of that, you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. It will happen if we let the Holy Spirit control our body, soul, and spirit. So, who is fully the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. 2 Corinthians 13 shows us this, these three parts, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Another way to refer to this Godhead, the Trinity, is the mind of God, the body of Jesus, and the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. Let's see how he came to us, the Holy Spirit. Before his crucifixion, Jesus met with his disciples. He washed their feet, and he explained to them what was going to happen next. He was preparing them for his death, and he told them that once this was accomplished on the cross, that the Father, his Father, would send the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said in John 14, verses 15 to 17, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept Him, because it neither sees Him or knows Him. But you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. And Jesus went on to remind them that he was their teacher while he was living. But when he died, his father is going to send a replacement. Jesus said he would send the spirit of truth to be our helper, our comforter, our guide. The Greek word here for counselor means one 
who is called alongside, as one who encourages us. He promised to give us our very own power source. So on Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit descended. Scripture describes the Holy Spirit as these things, the spirit of truth, the spirit of life, and of grace. Through the indwelling of that Holy Spirit in our lives, Christ is in us. We read in Ephesians 3 verse 16 that Christ may settle down and make his home in your hearts by faith. Jesus taught his disciples to love him and to obey him, and that God, his Father, through the Holy Spirit, would make a home within them. He goes on to say in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he's going to obey my teachings. And when you do, Christ, through the Holy Spirit, will be a part of you. And our goal as Christians is to open up our lives to Christ and ask Him to control every part of us. We can trust that when we do, the Holy Spirit will heal our brokenness and will help us to move forward to new life. He will give us an awareness of the enemy approaching. We will know when it's happening and He will give us the power to turn from Him. The Holy Spirit is a He. The Holy Spirit is not and it. The Holy Spirit is a living being within us. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for spirit, it, it, which is ruach, means wind, the wind within us. In the New Testament, the Greek word for Holy Spirit is pneuma, and that means breath. See, we think of the Holy Spirit as the breath of God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Bible translator and clergyman J.B. Phillips once wrote, Every time we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we mean that there is a living God able and willing to enter human, get this, personality and change it. That's what it means when we say, I believe the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. That means I believe the Holy Spirit can enter into my being and change me, my personality. Once we receive the Holy Spirit, we have all of the Holy Spirit that we will, we will ever need. It's not an issue of having more Spirit. It's, having a, it's the issue of feeling more of the Spirit. We need to allow the Spirit more of us. To illustrate, let's suppose that I'm in a car that's parked in a driveway. I turn it on and the engine roars to life. The car then has received the power but it doesn't go anywhere. Why? I ignited the power, but I haven't set it in motion. I don't need more power. I just need to activate the power that the car already has. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit fit into our lives? John Wesley believed that God provides us three kinds of grace. And he, he describes the, this grace having this, these three components. The first one is called prevenient grace. God's prevenient grace is with us from birth, prepare, preparing us for a life with Christ. See, pre, prevenient means comes before. The Holy Spirit goes before us to lead us into faith. God pursues us through the Holy Spirit. Think of this as a path that leads to our spiritual house. So the Holy Spirit is pursuing us down this path to get us into us so that we will have a spiritual home with Him. 
Jesus told his disciples he would send the Holy Spirit to convict us. John 16 verse 8 says, He will convict the world of sin. The Spirit applies the truths of God into our hearts and into our minds so that we realize we are sinners. So that is prevenient grace going before us. And then justifying grace. See, responding to that conviction then, responding to the conviction, will bring us to salvation. Wesley called this justifying grace. When we experience God's justifying grace, we come into new life with Christ, and we're, so to speak, born again. Wesley believed that people have freedom of choice. We are free to accept or reject God's grace. The Holy Spirit now has prepared us to become His spiritual home. And now Jesus is standing at the door and knocking and waiting for us to respond. Revelation 3.20 tells us that. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. The way we receive forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life is by repenting and asking forgiveness and asking for Jesus to come and enter us and live within us. This is the grace that brings us to faith and salvation. Justifying grace does that. And this comes to people through various ways and at various times. Some are young and some are not. The Holy Spirit pursues and then Jesus stands at the door and knock, knocks. It's up to us to respond. And then the third is the sanctifying grace. Wesley believed that after we accepted God's grace, we are to move on, move forward in God's sustaining grace. It's called sanctification. Sanctification is the process of Christian growth. The Holy Spirit gradually transforms the hearts and minds of Christians. Daily, we are being sanctified because daily we have opportunities to choose how we think, feel, what we say, and what we do. We decide daily how much of ourself we will give to God. Now that we've invited Him into our heart, we decide how much of our spiritual home He can have. This is how we spend the rest of our lives on earth, being sanctified growing closer to Christ. There's a little book that I became acquainted with many years ago. It's by Robert Munger, and it's called My Heart, Christ's Home. It describes the inside of our heart as a home for Christ to dwell in. And so in this little booklet, he takes the reader on a tour of his home, and he asks if we are willing to allow Christ to live in each room. He describes each room in our heart. And so let's take a, a tour of our spiritual home and ask, how much am I letting Christ control? So first of all, we have the library. That's the home, the room of the mind. It's the control room of the house. Do we give our hearts and our thoughts to the control of the Holy Spirit? The dining room, that's the room of appetites and desires. What is on your menu? Is there too much secular fare on the menu? Too much desire for fame or fortune or fashion? The next room is the living room. It's the room of quiet meditation. It's the room designed to spend time with our companions, our family, our advocate in our Father. 
Who are our companions? Is there more fellowship with friends or with Christ? How much time do you spend there with the Heavenly Father? And the workroom is the room where we work and produce things. What are we producing for the kingdom? That's where our spiritual gifts come in and our spiritual talents and all of those things that we're able to do for the kingdom. The rec room is the room for fun and fellowship. Are there certain associations and activities that we want to keep to ourselves? Or is Christ invited to all the activities? And then the hall closet. That's the room of secrets. It's where we hide things that we don't want anyone to see. Are we willing to give Christ the key to the darkest room in our home? When we are willing to open all of our rooms to Christ, we will have transformed our lives. The key to real peace and joy is inviting the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and control all of our bodies, our souls, and our will, all parts of our spiritual home. When we allow the Holy Spirit to take up full residence in our lives, He will help us in our body, spirit, and soul. He promises to dwell with us forever, and He will never leave us and forsake us. So how does the Holy Spirit guide us? Jesus promised that the Spirit of truth will guide us into all truth. The Holy Spirit wants to give us direction, wisdom, and guidance in every area of our lives. And so clearly, He makes a way for this to happen. Let's look at the, the ways that He helps us, He guides us. First of all, the Spirit speaks through God's Word. As we call on the Holy Spirit to reveal His message for us as we read. God wants us to know His will and to do His will so He will reveal the truth to us. And prayer is the way to hear God's Word in our reading of Scripture. Our job is to read God's Word, to study it, and to participate in the worship as we are reading. When we do so in prayer, the Holy Spirit will impress on us the meaning and how to apply it. He may trigger memories and a place or, or certain people or certain situations in our hearts that will help lead us to truth. Next, he speaks through his still, small voice. The Holy Spirit guides us through that little voice that we often hear when we are in prayer or we are in silent meditation. The Holy Spirit is using his small, still voice to help us discern right from wrong to prick our conscience, to enlighten us about a decision, and to give us strength in a crisis. And then he speaks through others. God uses faithful men and women to guide us in our walk. That's why it's so important to have Christian relationships, to have people in our lives who are a little further down the spiritual journey, and they can give us good counsel, good wisdom. So spiritual mentors can help us see a path when all we see are roadblocks. Paul mentored Timothy. And so Paul gave a biblical model for helping others, for mentoring others. It's all in 1 Timothy. And here are the things that he says throughout that. I encourage you to read that book so that you can see his wisdom for helping others. And here is what Christian mentors do biblically for us. 
urge and push you in the right direction, instruct and give you biblical counsel, teach and correct you when you go astray, pray for and with you, encourage you in your faith walk and in your life and to give you hope for the future. That's what we do for each other as we are helping guide each other through the Christian walk. That is all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Titus 2 also reminds us that older women are supposed to be helping the younger women. Let's see how that reads in Timothy, I'm sorry, in Titus 2 verses 3 through 5. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. I'm working with two young women in our church, Molly Anderson and Laura Turner, on a program that's going to do just this. We decided not to call it a mentoring program because that seems to scare people. We're calling it Bridging women because we're all on a faith bridge. Some have moved a far piece down across the bridge and others are just starting to make the journey. We all have something to share and something to learn, right? <laughs> You'll be hearing more about that soon. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to us through our prayer life. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit will help us when we are weak and intercede in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Holy Spirit gives us strength wisdom, and power to win our spiritual battles. And then the next one, the Holy Spirit will empower us to be an effective witness and to share our faith with others. He promises to open doors of opportunities and to give us the words to say just in time. The Holy Spirit helps us move past our fears because we have been promised that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a strong mind. The real question is how much does the Holy Spirit have of us? How much of your body, your soul, and your spirit belong to the Holy Spirit? What then are the signs of a spirit-filled life. See, there are indicators of how much we are giving to the Holy Spirit. Here's a description in Ephesians 5 verses 18 through 21. This describes a spirit-filled life. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Did you hear that? Make music in your heart for the Lord. 
When we're making music in our heart for the Lord, it's hard to burst out in anger. It's hard to be so critical. It's hard to give uh, fit, give into fits of emotional outburst when we're making music for Christ in our heart. See, he's describing a spirit-filled worshiper of God. Are you experiencing worship? Are you sharing worship with others through singing and giving thanks and offering kind and beautiful words? How devoted is your spiritual life? Paul refers to submission. He used that in that passage as part of a spirit-filled life. Being compliant and getting along with others is an indicator of one who lives in the spirit. Let's break down that word just to make sure we understand what it truly means. The word sub is a prefix. Sub is underneath. And the root word of submission is mission. We get a good idea of the intent of submission. It means to support the mission. What is the mission of marriage? To be aligned fully with each other and with God. That's what a Christian marriage is. What is submission in relationship with friends? To be aligned with each other. So you're supporting the mission that you have together in relationship. What is submission to Christ? To be aligned in the mission with Christ so that you're faithfully walking together with Him to support the mission, which means to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, and to love others as yourself. That's submission. Here's another indicator, the fruit of the Spirit. So the, the Spirit-filled life is a life that shows a commitment to the traits of the fruit of the Spirit. So you might ask yourself, how much love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control, gentleness, do you demonstrate? These traits are products of a, a Spirit-filled soul. We choose each of these by how we respond to circumstances. See, that goes back to what we've learned previously, that we learn to respond with the fruit of the Spirit instead of reacting inappropriately. And then spiritual gifts are other indicators of a Spirit-filled life. God empowered each of us with at least one spiritual gift once we gave our lives to Him. Galatians 5.13 reads, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another with love. That's what our spiritual gifts do. They give us an opportunity to serve God and serve others. And spiritual gifts and living in them is a matter of obedience. God created us for purpose, to glorify Him and to edify others. So, are you being obedient to the service of God? Obedience is an indicator of a Spirit-filled life. God made each of us with special gifts, talents, and skills, and He wants us to use those for Him. The Spirit empowers us to use those in ways that we could never imagine, and this is our witness. And then spiritual disciplines are other indicators of our faithful walk. Spiritual disciplines are practices that draw us closer to God, that keep our spirit connected to God's spirit.
Richard Foster says in his book, Celebration of Discipline, God has given us the disciplines to the spiritual life as a means of receiving His grace. The discipline allows us to place ourselves before God so that He can do this, transform us. So where are you with practicing these spiritual disciplines? Personal worship and meditation time, corporate worship, prayer in faith, biblical study, fellowship with believers, witness to the world, and service to others. That's the, those are the basic categories for practicing our faith. Think of spiritual practices as a sowing and reaping process. Galatians 6, 8 says this, The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So the, har the farmer is helpless to grow grain himself. All he can do is just to provide the right conditions for growing the grain. So he works that ground, doesn't he? He cultivates it. He plants those seeds. He waters them. And then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with our spiritual practices. They are a way of sowing the Spirit in our lives. Our job is to cultivate our lives with fertile ground, to sow those seeds, and to allow God to bring forth growth. We're to stay on that path so God can bring forth the change. So who is winning the battle for your spirit? Are you giving in to the desires of God and your five senses? Or have you given those physical desires over to God? God is our willing leader, our partner in our spiritual growth. But He leaves the choice to us on how much we turn over to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. He provides us all of those to tools to help us. He works within us to replace the lies that the enemy, through all sorts of ways, through other people, through media, and our own false thinking, has caused us to believe. He replaces those with the truths of Scripture so that our entire tripartite being can be transformed. And this is what's going to set us free from past hurts, from false beliefs, from negative thinking, from sinful behavior, but from unhelpful habits that we have developed. Those will be replaced because God is going to meet our needs. As we embrace the truth found in the Bible and begin to live according to His principles, that's when we will experience His presence and His love and His peace and His joy. This gives us wisdom and hope and power that we need every day. And then we will be able to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. As we develop this new nature, our ability to love and care for others is going to increase. We are going to love ourselves, our true self, more. And our desire will be to take better care of our bodies as we grow with God. This is because we realize that it is primarily through our physical body that we are able to do things that He's gifted us to do. 
When we fully turn over God's spirit, we become his witnesses in the world, forgiving others, loving them, believing, worshiping him, living our lives out in the community, serving others. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives to help us to do the very tasks He's called us to do, to use our talents and gifts. And then when we pair those with His godly presence and His godly spirits, Spirit, our attitude then is going to change. It will be filled with kindness and with truth. We need to reflect God's Spirit in all parts of our being, our body, our soul, and our spirit. <clears throat> it's an intimate relationship with God we have that results in the fruit of His Spirit operating in our lives that is going to produce our good well-being and our good health. It's going to help us in all of our relationships, but we can't pick and choose which parts go to God. We want to be all in so that we reflect God's full measure of love and hope and mercy and grace and forgiveness. John Piper, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, says the goal of the Christian life is this, gladly making others glad in God. <coughs> I believe that being glad in God means we're giving Him our all, and we know it. Others know it, and God knows it. Ultimately, this is what honor, honors God and makes Him happy. People attribute their gladness to Him and His love. Here is what they say when they know we are all in. She is all in. She is walking faithfully. We're not perfect, but we want to demonstrate that our eyes are on God and that He is doing the work in perfecting us. So hopefully today you've been able to see the connection of God's Spirit working with our spirit to help our soul and our body to conform to God's plan. Let's think about three boxes. There's one box and it has body on it. What are you putting in the body box? Are you moving away from the fleshly carnal desires of your body and toward God's plan for your body? Are the desires of your eyes, ears, hands, mouth, and nose aligned with God's desires? Then you're putting good things in the body box. What's in your soul box? Are you capturing your thoughts and renewing your mind? Or is that still an ongoing struggle? Are your emotions under control, or do you find that you're too often flipping your lid? How is your will? Are you still in a battle between your self-will and God's will? Hopefully you have put in this soul box all of your mind, all of your thinking, all of your emotions, and all of your will, all of your personality is right in there. What's in your spirit box? Are you showing signs of a spirit-filled life through the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control? Are you using a spiritual practices to feed your spirit and, and keep you connected to God? Are you using the special gifts God has given you in service to God and to others? If so, you're filling that box with God's spirit. Which of these boxes is leading you? The body? the soul, or the spirit? Have you committed each part of your tripartite being to God? If so, 
then your spirit is leading your body and your soul. And here's what we really want to do. We want to pick up all three of those boxes and put it in the big God box. That says we are all in for God and we are with God. We want to give Him each part of our being and let Him live in each part of our spiritual house. And then we will truly exemplify all parts of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, a candle represents Jesus as the light of the world. It was the light and the fire that represented the presence and the power of God as the children of Israel were in the Exodus. Some might say that each believer lights a candle prior to worship to symbolize his or her life as an offspring being burned up in service to God. You know, let's think about uh, uh, the power of a candle, the power of light. Verses of Scripture remind us of the power. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Psalm says, your word is a lamp to my feet and will guide me. It's a light for my path. Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's what we've been called to do. We've been called to be the light of the world. I ask that you pray today, God, I will be your light in this dark world. Let's pray. Father of light, <clears throat> help us to let our light shine for you every hour of the day, in the morning and in the evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining me in this series. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. I look forward to beginning our next one in a couple of weeks, and it will be all about Psalm 23. Go out and be the light.